Back in the 80s, the WWF wrestler turned actor, Rowdy Roddy Piper, played George Nada, a drifter, finds work on a construction site and some housing in a shanty town in L.A. For reasons that are unclear at the time, police end up raiding the town and the nearby church. Nada manages to evade arrest, but discovers some boxes in that church. And inside the, one of the boxes is, is this pair of sunglasses. He puts them on, and to his surprise, the world looks very different. First of all, everything goes from color to black and white. What's more, the glasses reveal hidden messages. He looks up and sees a billboard, and on the billboard, it just says in large black letters, Obey. He takes off the glasses, and then he sees the billboard. It's just advertising a tropical vacation. Then he walks by a newsstand and discovers similar messages on the cover of every magazine on the rack. Submit. Stay asleep. He picks up the magazine from the rack, pulls off the sunglasses. It's just a normal magazine. Hey, pal, you can buy that or what? Says the guy working the newsstand. Yeah, sure, he says, putting the glasses back on. Pulling money from his wallet, he notices secret messages printed there, too. This is your God, it says on his dollar bills. He freezes. Another customer complains about the holdup. Nada turns to apologize and discovers some sort of freakish creature standing behind him dressed in business attire. He pulls off his sunglasses. The freak turns out to be a dignified-looking older gentleman. Glasses on, get the freak. Look, pal, I've got other customers here. Nada turns again. Now, that guy still looks normal, glasses on or off. Well, spoiler alert, I've had since the 80s to see this, but the glasses reveal that aliens have infiltrated and they're making us subservient through these subliminal messages. I bring this up, not in an attempt to uh, plug the film, I don't, uh, but to make a comparison. The author of Revelation is John, not John the Disciple, but John the Seer. And John the Seer is a bit like George Nada. He knows that there is more going on in the world of the first century than can be perceived by the naked eye. This book, the book of Revelation, it's like a pair of sunglasses. He's offering them to us to put them on, to put it on and and see how differently the world looks. What's more, like as in the case with George, the world's a little freaky. For instance... In an earlier chapter, he talks about Rome. Without the sunglasses, what you see is a city that has accumulated vast power and wealth, a civilization that has brought peace and prosperity, maintained by a dominant and ruthless military. Put the glasses on. What do you see? Well, you see that Rome is Babylon, riding atop a seven-headed beast, point here is not to critique Rome's sexual mores, which are lacking for sure, but it's more of a critique of the systems of violence and institutions of oppression that uphold Roman rule. It's about how people become seduced by all that power, all that authority. They may convince themselves that they're only doing what's in their best interest, that they aren't the ones doing the violence or actually oppressing people. Oh, but no, says John, you get in bed with the harlot You share her fate. Systems of power within a society are often like that. 
They develop a mind of their own. They become something more than the people and institutions that compose them, and, and, and they can pull you in. I'm currently reading a book about Reconstruction. And one of the things that's fascinating is how after the Civil War, you know, uh, there were a number of Northerners, uh, politicians, and businessmen who were really optimistic about the future of the South. They thought slavery was, well, probably immoral, but more that it was uh, outdated. They were big capitalists, and they thought, look, all we need to do is come down there and show them how, uh, when you have uh, workers and planters both operating out of their own self-interest, that you can negotiate an agreement that is satisfying to both of them, and everybody's going to win, and everybody's going to be more productive. But what they failed to appreciate that was that slavery was not merely uh, an economic uh, issue. Uh, for a planter, the idea of negotiating with a former slave was offensive. And what's more, many freed slaves had no interest in picking cotton ever again, let alone working for their former masters. And this was frustrating because these northern interests needed these plantations up and running just because they had factories up in the north that needed the supply. They may never have owned slaves, but they had built an economy uh, around the output created by slavery labor. So despite their commitment to the free market, they used the military to force freed slaves to sign contracts or go to jail. In the end, these interests who thought they were going to enlighten these backward Southerners ended up implementing policies and bore a close resemblance to slavery. And they certainly kept racism intact. John the Seer would say, see, this is what happens when you get in bed with the harlot. So many people enter some line of work hoping to do real good, to make a real difference whether it's in healthcare or the judicial system or politics or the church, and only find themselves up against something much bigger. It's like this thing has a mind of its own, independent of any one particular individual or any one particular policy. And this problem feeds on this problem that feeds on this problem. And, and it's so easy to just get sucked in and become part of the problem. The book of Revelation is not written to make us optimistic about the systems and institutions of power that we deal with. It offers no policy solutions nor suggests any ideas for reform. It's not as simple as getting rid of a few bad apples. The system system will simply damage other apples. Rather than presenting solutions, the vision presented here depicts a good deal of destruction. That's what the future holds. All this destruction has led many to conclude that the gospel is really an opportunity just to evacuate before the destruction happens. Reminds me of a story once this environmentalist told about taking a uh, road trip with his mother-in-law. As they sped down the highway, she finished eating her meal from McDonald's and balled up the paper bag and uh, the paper and the bag it came in, then rolled down the window and just tossed it out. What are you doing? He asked. That's littering. She turned and said, The quicker we destroy it, the sooner he comes.
Is that the message of Revelation? Why bother trying to protect and preserve the earth if Jesus is just going to destroy it all anyway? Might as well give him a head start. The problem with this is that it cuts John the Seer's vision short. The story of the earth, the story of the creation as a whole, is an Easter story. There is death. There is destruction. There is a sort of cosmic Good Friday during which all the corruption and all the systems and institutions that perpetuate it meet their end. But their end is not the end of what the seer sees. And then I saw a new heavens and a new earth, a cosmic Easter. You might think it ends there. Oh, okay, fresh start. Maybe it's starting all over, like a return to Eden. But no, actually, it doesn't stop there either. You know, there are lots of traditions and weddings I can take or leave. But that moment, that moment where we stand and turn as the bride enters, I mean, come on, that's, that's pretty great. Well, John's vision includes something like that. Here again, it compares a city to a human being. But here God pushes open the doors of heaven, and coming down the aisle is a city. And I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. A city. Those places where violence and oppression become centralized in institutions and systems. Yeah, a city. But a city unlike any other city. Have you ever heard that line from Jimi Hendrix? When the power of love overcomes the love of power, the world will know peace. It's a pretty good line. Almost as good as, hey, you got a new pool, or you got a new pool. Hey, I like that thing. But no, this is even better. When the power of love overcomes the love of power, the world will know peace. Well, this is what distinguishes this city. The power at the center of this city is love. See, the home of God is among mortals. God will dwell with them as their God. They will be God's peoples, and God's own self will be with them. So that's what makes a difference. And what makes it like our cities? How will this city be like the cities we know? Well, it doesn't really say all that much, but we might consider what God says before. When God gave human beings the garden, right? God, what does he say to him? He says, go, go to work. Go work this garden. Go garden it. Uh, it is safe to assume that God will say something similar at the ribbon-cutting ceremony for this city. Go to work. A city requires lots of work. Lots of types of work. You know, there are a lot of old songs which talk about uh, the world to come as a place of rest. And and. and Certainly, in some ways, it will be, but it is also a place of work, too. Good work. The kind of work that feels affirming, an opportunity to demonstrate your particular talents and interests, your particular form of creativity. And it's useful work, productive work. It's the kind of work that helps the city flourish. Maybe you'll do work much like the work you do or have done in this life. Or the work you've always longed to do, but never had the opportunity. 
Or maybe you'll discover gifts and talents you never knew you had in the work you do. A city. A city needs all types of work. Although some types of work won't be needed. For instance, my line of work. One of the things we're told is that there is no temple. There's no need for a a place specially designated for invoking and praising and petitioning God. God's just there. But don't worry about me, Olive. I'll find plenty to do, I'm sure. So I understand that all this might feel very abstract and detached from the world as you experience it today. First of all, to those of you for whom, for whom that, it feels that way, I want to say, I'm sorry. Especially if it feels that way because for you, work has been a source of frustration. For those of you uh, whose work has often gone unappreciated, undervalued, or if your work feels like it's just draining the life out of you, who credit uh, your work for an ulcer or high blood pressure, or if you've just found work hard to come by. What can I say? It is, it's Babylon out there. But there is consolation in a passage like this, right? After all, you are not alone in that frustration. God shares your frustration. And the promise of the gospel, of John's vision, is that God is going to make it right. Listen again to what the seer says happens when the new city comes. God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. Every tear. That means tears shed for a terminal diagnosis and for marriages that fell apart, for dogs we had to put down, and for the host of work-related frustrations. You know, in the movie, after seeing these hidden messages and the aliens, Nada returns to the shantytown to find his friend and insists he put on the glasses too. His friend suspects he's not gonna like the things he sees through those glasses, so he refuses. And then this ridiculously long fight sequence breaks out. And you might feel similarly about Revelation, and we're not gonna fight about it. But the world it presents is at times nightmarish. We might want to live a life where you can just work the system to our advantage. After all, I mean, what can you do? It's much bigger than you. Sure, you'd prefer a world which operates by kindness, fairness, generosity, but this isn't it. You can convince yourself that the real problem is the failure to just accept reality for what it is. But John wants us to see that reality is much stranger and ultimately more glorious than we'd imagined. That that the desire for a better world is not just wishful thinking. It is God letting you in on a secret. Letting you know where it's all heading. Or more to the point, what's heading here. It's a city. Everything Jesus did was to prepare you for this city. Everything the Holy Spirit is doing is to prepare you for this city. 
It's a holy city, a beautiful city, a city that shines like a bride coming down the aisle. And it's for you, for you to be your best, most creative, most loving, most productive, most rested version of yourself. In the name of the Father and the Son, Holy Spirit, amen.